We are wrapping up today a five-part series I preached called How to Help Your Pastor So It Will Ultimately Benefit You. And again, that comes from this verse that's in your bulletin. Uh, this is where that scripture comes that teaches this. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason, that is to lead, with joy and not with sorrow. Some translations say not with grief. That would certainly not be for whose benefit? His benefit? Nope. Your benefit. You ever heard of a vicious cycle? That's something that we probably learned that phrase in, um, in school, a vicious cycle. Let me define it for you. A vicious cycle is a negative pattern of behavior which continually produces negative outcomes. And it's very hard to break from sometimes. Listen to that again. A vicious cycle is a negative pattern of behavior which continually produces negative outcomes. And it's very hard to break out of. For instance, lying. Uh, you ever known someone who's a chronic liar? <laughs> uh, seems like a lot of them hang out north of Richmond right now, right? <laughs> if you know that song. Okay. Uh, that's a vicious cycle that someone can get into. They tell one lie, they got to tell another lie to cover it up. And they got to remember all the lies they told. Okay. And it seems like even today when people are caught on a lie on TV, some of these politicians... And they directly contradict what they said now. It still don't make no difference, okay? But it is a vicious cycle you can get to. Debt is a vicious cycle that you can get into. Uh, some people get into credit card debt or, or some other kind of debt, uh, gambling debts and stuff like that. Uh, people who have gambling debts, you know what they do? They go to the casino, they lose money, so they got to go, i got to go back so I can win some money. They win some money, they... Uh, pay off their debts, and then they are tempted to go back to the game. So it's a vicious cycle uh, to, to do that kind of thing. And then poverty. It seems like poverty is something that is a vicious, vicious cycle that people get into where they just can't break out. And it goes from generation to generation to generation of poverty in a uh, family's life. And one of the things that we try to do here at Franklin and Gail and I's heart is we realize that many of our kids here have been challenged in, in that kind of environment through no fault of their own and spiritual environments that are very difficult. And God has given us these youth and uh, the majority of, of our youth that we desire to change that legacy in their life. We want to see them saved. We want to see them bringing their kids to church. And we want to see them uh, follow the Lord. And I think if you get saved, you follow the Lord, bring your kids to church, get your family to church, God will help you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Now, there is a vicious cycle. That's negative. But you know, there is a glorious cycle that you can do. And that's what this verse talks about. Let me sum it up. If a church helps this pastor, encourages pastor, pastor gets encouraged, and it just spills out back over the congregation. So you see, there's that good, glorious cycle. So that's what this series has been about. Now, we, we, uh, as I told you, next week we're going to counterbalance this, and I'm going to expect twice as much from myself 
is I'm even asking for y'all, okay? So that's what we'll cover next week. Remember I said last week, behind every great pastor is an awesome congregation. And y'all are awesome to me. And even if sometimes people get a little bit perturbed, I still love you and I still think y'all are awesome people, okay? And then, uh, as Sherry reminded me, <laughs> an awesome pastor's wife, amen? I tell you, Gail just does such a, a wonderful job. Now, here's what we've covered so far. Help, how to help your pastor ultimately benefit you. I'm just going to read those out. Cover your pastor with prayer. Please do that more than anything. Encourage your pastor every chance you get. I appreciate encouragement that was given to me uh, this morning. It means all the world to me. Uh, respect the biblical office of a pastor, just like I'd say respect the office of a police officer. You may think that police officer's a jerk, but you're still supposed to say officer. You don't call him, you know, just, hey, bub. Um, and uh, same thing with a judge or a teacher. You respect their office, okay? And uh, then here's where I want to pick up today. And uh, these last will cruise by pretty quick. The first one is, give your pastor freedom to lead. It doesn't say give your pastor freedom to be a dictator. If I ever start acting like a dictator, would you please let me know and call me down? Okay? If I ever give off the impression that I'm just, it's all about me here, would you please tell me that? I'm going to be the first person to know. And I want you to have the freedom to say that. But a lot of pastors are shackled up. They can't lead. Now, I don't know if this is the way it is over in India, Vito, but I mean, in America, the pastor, he has to ask permission of the deacons to go to the restaurant. Now, I'm exaggerating a little, but that, I'm telling you. I mean, they have to ask, to ask permission for the deacons to do anything. And he can't make the simplest changes in the church without having to go through all these hoops it just bogs the thing down and, you know, just it causes nothing but disunity in the church. Now, who gives the pastor the calling to lead? It is God Himself. And as I've told you, if I were not even the pastor here, you need to give your pastor freedom to lead unless he does something heretical, immoral, messes with the finances then you need to say, you know what, he's God's man, I'm going to pray for him, and I'm going to pray God lead him in the right direction. Could you imagine the changes in our churches if churches would do, do that? Um, uh, I'm going to show you a quote by, uh, this is a book called Pastors at Risk, H.B. London Jr. and Neil Wiseman. Here's what they said. It, it, it's comparing a boss, like a business kind of boss, of what it would be like to be a pastor with the same restrictions and rules on them. Here's what they say. If I wanted to drive a manager up the wall, I would make him responsible for the success of an organization and give him no authority. I would provide him with unclear goals not commonly agreed upon by the organization. I would ask him to provide a service of an ill-defined nature, apply a body of knowledge having few absolutes, and staff his organization with only volunteers. I would expect him to work 10 or 12 hours per day and have his work evaluated by a committee of 300 to 500 amateurs. <laughs> now, that's a larger church uh, he's referring to, uh, but I've been there. Um, I would call him a minister and then make him accountable to God after all those things. Now, the last sentence is the only one I think is legit. 
call him a minister or whatever you want to call him, and make him accountable to God. Now, a pastor needs to be accountable. He needs to get advice and counsel from others, but a pastor needs to have the freedom to, to lead and say, look, this is where I feel like God is leading us. I've talked with our leadership team about this. We've prayed about it, and this is where I feel like God wants us to go next. And unless that is a major, major heretical issue, then you need to say, well, you know what? Let's try this. If the pastor's wrong, I will be the first person to say, well, we blew that one, okay? But we, sometimes it's like, let's try this. I think God's in this. Let's go forward with it. If it doesn't work out, we can always punt. We can back it up. We can make a course correction. But pastors need to have the freedom uh, to do that. Let me read you another great quote on, uh, uh, about letting your pastor lead. I actually, we had an uh, interim pastor at my home church, Dr. Nelson Price, pastor the first megachurch in Georgia. First megachurch ever. President of the Georgia Baptist Convention at one time. Great, well-known leader in Georgia Baptist Convention. He was the interim pastor of my home church, and they had my home church had a, a, a newsletter called The Builder. That was theirs, the newsletter of Alpharetta's first family. That's my home uh, church. Now, here's what he said. He was quoting another evangelist, Dr. Bailey Smith. This is his writing, and this is Dr. Price's writing. Dr. Bailey Smith called our attention uh, to why one denomination is growing and many churches in the Southern Baptist Convention are declining. declining. He said that the churches in the other denomination call a pastor and get out of the way saying to him, lead. He went on to say they follow him with prayer, support, and love. He emphasized that they don't go through a lot of committees. Previously, now this is Dr. Price talking, I have said committees are the 50s. We live in another century. I appeal to you, don't call a pastor and not let him lead. The leader in a church is not determined by what office is held, but by who exercises the most influence. Uh, biblically, that is to be the pastor. Any person or group that tries to intimidate him or diminish his influence is in God's way. <laughs> That's pretty strong, but you know... Uh, that's why Dr. Price was a great leader, and he was able to see so many people saved. You know, he, he believed what he was preaching there. Um, there is a... Um, many of you have heard of Dr. David Jeremiah, great, great preacher. And uh, he was talking one day about Jerry Falwell. Y'all remember Jerry Falwell, the moral majority and everything like that, and he started a church... <laughs> And, uh, I mean, he just started a church and then huge, and they got the in a, in a, uh, university and stuff like that. And here's, here's what he said. I'm, I'm just going to quote what David Jeremiah said. Dr. Falwell's deacon said to him, Pastor, you just tell us what God has put on your heart to do, and we will support you, and we will make it happen. And you look at what God was able to do through him, and he finished faithful. He's in heaven now. So, give your pastor freedom to lead. I would tell that to you even if I wasn't here. I I'm going to teach that at other churches. All right, here's the next thing. Guard your pastor's family time. 
Guard your pastor's family time. Let's look at a couple of verses on that. Husbands, uh, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. And so, you know what? I'm not only a pastor, I'm a husband. I'm a husband. And I'm to love my wife. And I do love my wife. And I tell her all the time, probably about 20 times a day, how much I love her and how pretty she is and... And I bless her, and I get blessed, amen? <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, pastor needs to love his wife. And you know how some people say, how do you spell love? T-I-M-E. That's how you spell love. There's no such thing as quality time makes is better than quantity time. Both are good, quality and quantity time with your spouse. And look what the Bible says about children. Uh, Malachi 4, uh, 6, and I'll give you the context. He, Elijah, will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children. The fathers will become children-focused. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Once the father really invests in their children and feels loved by the father, then the children their heart turns to the Father. And that's a good, glorious uh, cycle. There's nothing that will melt hearts like love. There's no more powerful force on this earth than loving God and loving other people. That's what Jesus said. Now, when I was in seminary, the greatest... When we had great preachers, and we would ask them during Q&A, what's your greatest regret? these great preachers would say, and they would many times start weeping, I didn't spend enough time with my family. And they would start crying. I didn't spend enough time with my kids when they were little. And they would weep and cry. They could never, ever, ever get that back. I made a determination after I heard that in seminary, I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm going to guard my family time. And if I have to say no to a lot of things that the church expects of me and they criticize me to the nth degree, I'm not going to sacrifice in this area. And so, <laughs> and uh, my son will tell you to this day, he's 27, and he will thank me this day for how I spent time with him. I'd take that any other day. If a church fired me every year, I'd take that. Uh, I remember these days. Saturday mornings, that was our time together. Taking him to ride the carousel. Swimming in the pool. Ignore my chest right there. It was starting to sag a little bit. <laughs> uh, uh, taking him to the beach. And he was a surfer dude there. That was his first time to the beach. Uh, wrestling with him on the floor. Playing cowboys and Indians. Taking him fishing. Taking him to the ball games. And taking him to University of Georgia games with his granddad that he'll never forget about. You cannot recoup those times. You can never get them back. And most pastors, listen, they are driven by the fear of man. They're driven by how much the congregation expects of them. And so they 
can't put up with the criticism of the expectations. And they work 60, 70 hours a week. Average pastor works 60. And they neglect their family. And then they get older and they regret it. I'm so glad. I feel sorry for those old pastors, but I'm so glad I saw them weep because I thought, I am not going to make that mistake, and I have not. There's somebody else. Uh, well, there's Jay now that he's older. And you know what I do? About every quarter, even though Jay lives in, he lives in Chattanooga now. He lives in North Georgia, but he lives in Chattanooga now. Every quarter, I'm going to make sure I see him, whether it's when I have to go take care of my mom or a couple of times a year, you know what I do? I met him in Jackson, Tennessee last time. We spent a weekend together. Uh, we're going to try sometime in Decatur, Alabama. That's a good place. I love Decatur. We're going to meet there. And uh, we're going to hang out with each other because it doesn't matter that he's adult. He still needs to know his daddy loves him. And here's one thing I've heard. Here's one thing I've learned is even boys need to feel the affection of their father. They do. And I, 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 when I see Jay, I hug him and I kiss him. Not on the lips, of course, but I hug him and I give him a peck on the cheek. And he does, he does that too because... Boys need the affection of their fathers, too, all right? And, but it's funny because once he got older, he got up here, and so I had to go on the side of the cheek, <laughs> and he has to go down here. <laughs> okay, but there's somebody else I need to spend time with, and that is my wife. This is a picture of when Gail and I went and uh, ate at is JoJo's. Is that the name of that place, the catfish place? And, boy, we had a good time. Yesterday, uh, we had to do this. Uh, let's see here. We had to go celebrate with one of the grandkids, and uh, we left at 12 o'clock and got back about 8 o'clock last night. That was a long day, and that's hard because you feel like you're wasted as a pastor after you do that. But you know what? We need to spend time uh, with them. One of them's missing there. She went to the restroom in that picture. We had no idea she was missing. That's little Evelyn, the little curly-headed funny one, okay? But that's the grandkids. All right. But I need time to do that. And y'all are good at this, okay? This is not a big issue with y'all, but I have been places where they get mad if I don't come to their Sunday school party. They get mad if I'm not at every surgery. And this is when I had to go to two or three surgeries a week sometimes. And I would miss somebody who had to have their toenail removed. <laughs> And uh, you could make a thousand visits right, but if you miss one visit, the whole church hears about it. They don't hear about the thousand you did right. They hear about the one you didn't do right. And so, again, y'all are, are good with that. And, and my pastoral care load here is like almost, I'm going to say it's almost nothing because we, uh, we do a whole lot more counseling and dealing with stuff than we do hospital visits. But you get the idea. Guard your pastor's. Uh, family time. And of course, I even need time to deal with this thing right here. Psycho Kitty. And even though she apparently does not want my attention, I still act out of agape love. I choose to love her even though she reciprocates none in return but scowls on her face, okay? I enjoy her even though she hates me, okay? All right, now let me give you a few things churches can do to guard a pastor's family time. Let the pastor have a true day off. It, it, uh, now, if there's an emergency, uh, obviously I want you to call me. 
If you feel like something's extremely urgent, I want you to call me. But a lot of things can wait. A lot of things um, can wait. So uh, I work Sundays. Um, this is Super Bowl. Every Sunday is Super Bowl for me. It's my main day. I work Sundays, and on Mondays I'm totally exhausted. No way to describe what that's like. It's just it, you expend, you're pumping out physically. I sweat like crazy when I'm preaching. You're pumping out emotionally. I'm sharing my heart. I'm pumping out spiritually what God worked into me. And by Mondays, I'm like a flat balloon. I'm like, okay? And so I'm, I'm tired. And, but I work Sundays through Thursdays, and my Sabbath day is Friday. That's my Sabbath day. And I do everything I can to block everything off there because i got to rest. Because Saturday, guess what? Usually Saturdays are pretty full days for me too. I work six days a week, like God said. And my Sabbath, I can't take Sunday off. My Sabbath is Fridays. Okay? So, again, y'all have been real good about that. But just kind of keep that in mind. Friday is the pastor's day where he needs to recuperate and get refreshed and blow the balloon back up. <laughs> okay? Um, Here's another one, and I hesitate to say this because this is not that big of an issue in a small church, uh, but even in a small church, this can be an issue. Limit the calls you make to the pastor at home. Now, I don't want you to be afraid to call me at home because this is one of those things. It'll be like the gift card. <laughs> it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. Some people are going to walk out of here and say, Pastor never told, said I can't call him at home. That's not what I'm saying. Can you all read that clearly? Limit the calls you make to a pastor at home. Can I give you an illustration? Again, this is not that big of an issue at a small church. And uh, I don't think it's really been an issue here, to be honest with you. There's been no issue with this. But listen to this. I have been on my day off, which is a Friday, not here. And I've had people call me on Friday night and say, Hey, Pastor, can you make an announcement on Sunday about Missions Day? And I'm like, Are you kidding me? Could you not have waited when it wasn't my day off? Um, you can wait. Write yourself a note. I need to talk to the pastor about an announcement on Missions Day. But that's the kind of crazy things that happen to a lot of pastors Especially once the church gets to be about 100, you're going to face that issue as a pastor. And uh, here's the good thing. You know, I wrote this sermon 20 years ago. This whole sermon, I wrote this 20 years ago. I told you that. Preached at a revival. Um, back in that day, this was 2000. This is 23 years ago when I preached this message at a revival. Back in that day, nobody had cell phones hardly yet. And texting was not even heard of. And the good thing today is, if you need to say, hey, will you make this announcement? Just shoot me a text. And I can answer you back in five seconds. You see? So we live in a good day like that. And if my 93-year-old, not 93, my 90-year-old mother can send me text and respond to my text, 
then anybody here can learn how to do that. And, and I try to do that with everybody. I rarely, it sounds funny, I rarely call anybody because most of the time I just need quick information so I send you a text, okay? So that's a good way to handle it. But listen, I want you to feel free. Is everybody listening? To call me and not be ashamed to call me. But just don't overuse that privilege. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Does everybody hear my heart? Is anybody going to misquote me? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) then don't. All right, number three. Realize that just like everybody else, a pastor needs a season of refreshment. pastor needs to take a vacation. All right, Dr. Adrian Rogers said this, the pastor who is available all the time won't be much... Excuse me. The pastor who is available all the time won't be worth much when he gets to you. Okay? Now, here's another thing. Uh, Guard your pastor's time. Respect your pastor's convictions. Now, I'm talking about mainly issues that are debatable about how to handle certain ethical issues or something. You see, there are certain people I will marry, I mean, perform the ceremony, and there are certain people I will not perform the marriage for. And you may say, you're an idiot. Um, well, you know what? i got to an answer to God for that. Those are debatable issues. There are some people that some pastors are very, very limited to who they will marry. Other pastors are all the way open. And I'm probably about like that, <laughs> okay? Probably about two-thirds more open than some of those really strict pastors. But uh, there's a third of the time where I'm going to say, I can't marry that person. I can't marry them. And whatever I feel like the Lord's leading me to do, whether you agree with it or not, you just have to say, you know what? Pastor's accountable to God for that. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, there was a fella an older fella, and somehow this came up, and he's, we were talking about eating at restaurants like Chili's, or back then there was Applebee's and stuff like that. And uh, although these were family restaurants, they had a little bar section, and they served the beer and the liquor over here, and then, uh, then you had this whole other two-thirds area where you and your family could eat. And he said, man, I have a conviction about that. I ain't never going to go in there and, you know, uh, into a faci- uh, restaurant like, like that. I just have a conviction about that. You know what? I respect his conviction. But just because I'm okay with going to Chili's <laughs> or Colton's or any place else that may serve liquor or beer, just because I'm okay with that, then you need to respect somebody, not just my conviction, but my, I, I'm going to answer to God about that. Um, now, here's another one. Now, ooh, oh, gosh. Do y'all want me to preach the Bible? Do you want me to preach every word of the Bible, even if it makes me extremely uncomfortable? All right, (laughs) John, you like that? He's a preacher's kid. He understands that. This is in the Bible. Provide for your pastor as generously as possible. Uh. Did you know there's a survey that says this? 70% of pastors say that, not, not that you're underpaid, they are grossly underpaid. 
That's the vast majority of pastors. Let me stop there. I promise you, God is my witness. Y'all do this for me. Y'all, what I make for this size church is really good. So this is not about me. This is about when God calls me away from here, which I think is going to be several more years. This is for your next pastor. And this is for God. If God were to move you to another community and you go to another church, you need to remember this principle. It's in the Bible, so i got to preach it. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. Pastors who do their work well should be paid well and should be highly appreciated, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. In the New Testament, there seemed to be what we would call today a church staff. And there would be the head pastor, and then he would have several associate pastors, and it says the, the lead point pastor needs to be taken care of as best as possible. Um, look what it... Uh, let me go on down to say that. What, where did I get to? Um, Then it says in verse 18 there, For the Scriptures say, Never tie the mouth of an ox. (laughs) How you like that? I'm an ox. Never tie the mouth of an ox when it is treading out the grain. Let him eat as he goes along. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Now that's all I'm going to mention about that. But uh, let me... uh, Look at Galatians 6, 6. I'm just reading Scripture here. Uh, Those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Here's another translation of that. Those who are taught the Word of God should help their teachers by paying them. Here's a verse I didn't have. uh, I had already printed out the bulletins. uh, But look at this one. Uh, I actually accidentally copied that. You've already read that. Oh, well. Somehow I thought that that was... What this verse is teaching right here, especially, is teaching, don't be stingy. If a pastor can barely make ends meet, you know what? He gets discouraged. He feels that the church doesn't appreciate him. And you're not going to have a good pastor who's like, his morale is always down. And boy, I know a lot of pastors who cry, even cry about this. We just can't meet it meet ends meet. Um, You don't enter the ministry to get rich, but it is the church's responsibility to take care of the man of God. Here's the way that I've handled that. When people, when I've gone to churches and they start negotiating salaries, here's what I say. Today we have tools that will tell you what the average salary is for a pastor of that size church with that budget. And I don't want to be paid above average, and I don't want to be paid below average. Would you just pay me the average amount for a church this size? I think that is as fair as can be. Um, And y'all pay me, really, for this size church now, because we kind of went through ups and downs. Y'all pay me really, really good. So this is not an issue here. Now here's the last thing, and I'll be done here. Give me five more minutes. Uh, realize a pastor's human limitations. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, Paul said, I am what I am. In other words, <laughs> God made me like I am, and I just got to be satisfied with who I am. 
with my strengths and my weaknesses. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Let me show you this. <clears throat> About expecting more than a human can do. Tom Rainer, who led Lifeway, that was kind of our publishing arm of Southern Mass Convention, he used to be a pastor. He decided to survey 12 of his deacons when he was pastoring at his church. And here's what he said. I listed several congregational responsibilities and asked them to share the minimum, minimum, keyword, amount of time I should average in each area each week. I listed about 20 areas. But they were free to add any other responsibilities to the blank lines. I'm not sure exactly what I was anticipating. I just know I was shocked when I tallied the results. In order to meet those 12 deacons, minimum expectations, I had to fulfill the following responsibilities each week. So see, other deacons didn't know what each other was answering, and this was averages. Not everyone expected this, but there were some expected more. So here's the averages. Look at this. This is nuts. Prayers at the church, 14 hours a week. <laughs> that would be good. I mean, hopefully I can work up to that. Sermon preparation, 18 hours a week. Now, that's about normal for most pastors, about 15 to 18 hours a week. Uh, I don't know many pastors who pray 14 hours a week, but you know what the Bible says about the apostles in the first church? They devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So I pray that I get up to that level one of these days. I don't think those are unreasonable expectations. Outreach and evangelism, 10 hours a week. Going out, visiting, knocking on doors, inviting people to church. Counseling, 10 hours a week. And again, this is toward a larger church, but you start to see the expectations people put that are impossible. Uh, <clears throat> hospital and home visits, 15 hours a week. These were averages. Administrative functions, running the staff, making sure it's 18 hours a week. Community involvement. Get out there in the community and take the mayor out to lunch and, you know, whatever, you know, be involved in local issues and everything like that. Uh, denominational involvement. <clears throat> uh, five hours. Uh, church meetings, five hours a week. Worship services, preaching, four hours a week. And uh, other, <laughs> 10 hours a week. Now, here, here's what you do when you total that up. That's 114 hours a week expected from 12 deacons on average. Now, no human being can do that. It would put somebody, even the best, strongest ADD person who can't sleep but three hours, who can get all the way from three hours a night, it would drive him into the funny farm. They'd have to strap him with a white jacket. But that is the kind of expectations that are put on a pastor that will drive them in the ground. And the hard thing is this, is you have to say, I can't do that. I can't be there. The two things that I see that go beyond human expectations, two things. It's not just the time when I, that I mentioned to you, but it's also the giftedness of the pastor. Did you know pastors, this is not always true, but pastors who are good preachers usually aren't that good at pastoral care. A lot of pastors who are good at pastoral care are boring preachers. And I've seen that. I've seen a pastor who would visit starting in the morning and visit 
visit till 6 o'clock at night. He would go everywhere. He would visit every shut-in. And I'm talking about 30 or 40 shut-ins. He'd visit them all the time. Every hospital visit and everything like that. But he couldn't preach his way out of a wet paper sack. You know why? Because he was spending all his time in his area of giftedness. Um, and when people complain about his preaching, it's like, you know, we're not all wired the same. Uh, there's some pastors that are gifted preachers, but they're not gifted in the area of administration. They're gifted at leading, but they can't manage the church in the nitty-degree details. And so here's, here's what I'm saying. If you have a pastor, he's going to be strong in a certain area, but he's going to be weak in other areas. And so you just have to say, God, you sent him to us. <laughs> he's what we got. Apparently, he's what we needed at this time. So we accept him just like he is. Because here's what a lot of people expect a pastor to be like. A super hired holy man. We hire him to do all the visitation. We hire him to do all the hospital visits. We hire him uh, to do everything. And that is the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so you must realize that every pastor has human illustrations, uh, <laughs> limitations. All right. Um, so those are ways, eight ways, that you can help the pastor to benefit you. Next week, 15 ways, things I expect of myself to help you. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Every